0: How often do you get to come to church and see a picture of a beheaded guy right that 's e three for you that 's our faith too, so uh, lots of cool stuff in the in the bible and and uh, John the Baptist is definitely uh, one of the coolest of the cool so i 'm really excited to talk about him today before we get into that uh, last week. Uh, Pastor Eric did a fantastic job with uh, the brother of Jesus, James, and uh, just the really cool lighting effect and, and, and visual of how it must have been for James to do life 20 feet uh, uh, from stardom and how hard that, that must have been. And I was thinking about it today or not today, but this week, uh, and today, I guess, but as hard as that walk is, and as, high, as hard as it is to just never feel like you achieve your full potential, I believe it's even harder to take the walk backwards and walking from the spotlight into to the backstage and that's really the story of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, like Ron Burgundy, was uh, kind of a big deal. Uh, you know, I don't know if you know that. But he's one of the most distinctive characters, uh, not only in the, in the Bible, but other world religions uh, have have written uh, extensively about John the Baptist. He, he was a major uh, figure. Uh, Islam talks about him, uh, Baha'i talks about him, uh, Josephus, uh, the great Jewish historian, talks about this guy, John the Baptist. And... You know, there's, there's the, the, the physically just kind of bizarre things about John the Baptist, you know, that he, that he lived in the wilderness, that, that he ate uh, locusts. He, he wore camel uh, clothing, uh, camel skins and, and things like that. And, and just to let you know, no, that wasn't cool in the first century either you know, I mean, it was, uh, it's not what they wore, you know. I mean, it was just, it was like, you know, they wore togas and, you know, the things and the flowers in their hair and everything, right? Not, not locusts and, and, and the camel hair, you know, the itchy fleas, you know. So he's a very distinct kind of guy. He, uh, and John the Baptist uh, was this guy who, he was really a linchpin between the Old and the New Covenant. That John the Baptist was this guy who hearkened uh, back to the the prophets of the Old Testament, but he was a modern, you know, first century, you know, guy in in a in a Greek world, not a Hebrew world, and and he caught the attention of a lot of people. He he was not part of the political or religious structure. Nobody gave him the authority to be a leader, that, that he was called by God and he stood up and proclaimed again and again that people needed to be prepare themselves for the coming Messiah, the one who has been, was prophesied for. Now, a lot of people get confused because like John the Baptist, uh, you know, well, a guy baptized, right? I mean, that was one of his big things. But John the Baptist's baptism was actually different than uh, a Christian baptism. I don't know if you know that. Uh, uh, But John the Baptist, you know, that that obviously uh, Jesus had not yet died on the cross, that he had he had not uh, been buried. He had not uh, risen from the dead. What John the Baptist and the baptism of John was doing was a baptism of repentance. It was this, this symbol that, hey, I am preparing myself for the coming Messiah. That's why it was uh, kind of confusing uh, for him when, when he baptized Jesus. He's like, I, I, I don't need to baptize you. And, and Jesus says, this, this has to be done. And, and his baptism is different from the Christian baptism, is, as we know. Baptism in the Christian church is, is identifying ourselves with Jesus Christ. We identify ourselves when we go under the water that we are dying to self and we come up as a new creation in Jesus. And that. In that being uh, a new creation in Jesus, that we're also identifying ourselves as part of His body, the church. So, although John had uh, no no power, again he he was a very very influential uh, political and uh, a religious leader. But before John was a camel hair wearing, you know, locust eating, baptizing person, John was a twinkle in his father's eye, all right? That, that uh, John was uh, the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now, Zachariah was a priest, and, uh, and one day and this story is, is told in Luke chapter 1, but uh, Zechariah was doing his duties at the temple and, and he's going in and everything and, and an angel of the Lord, Gabriel, shows up to him and he's an old guy. And And he says, hey, you know what? Your wife Elizabeth and you will give birth to a son and you are to call him John. And... What Zachariah does is says, right, <laughs> we, are, we are old, we are done with this, you know, we're, we're, th- th- this is not happening. And with the grace and mercy that we, we know of God, he struck a mute, okay? Uh, and, he, and he couldn't talk. He's like, oh, yeah, you, 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 you know, shut your mouth and literally shut his mouth until... Elizabeth comes in, kind of, and this is taking a little bit of just, you know, creative liberty. and It's like, "Hey, here's your son. What should we call him?" And Zachary's like, "John," you know, and uh, and and we're good. So that that's basically, you know, kind of this really kind of cool circumstance of how how John comes along. Another thing it's it's important to know. Is that Elizabeth and Mary were were related somehow? We don't know exactly. They may have been, you know, cousins or or something like that. We're not totally clear on that. So, but one thing in verse seventeen in 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 his uh, account, I think is really important to know and kind of building in in the character of who John was. In verse seventeen, uh, Luke writes th- uh, that. Gabriel said this: he will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. Now Elijah was an Old Testament prophet and uh, was going to be the one who comes back and and proclaims the coming messiah. So here we have this really beautiful connection of the of the Old Testament promises of a Messiah and that, hey, you know what, John is going to have the spirit and power of this prophet Elijah, and he is going to be the one who's going to proclaim the Messiah. In Luke chapter 3 in verses 4 and 6, that Luke writes this, Isaiah had spoken of John when he said, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled and the mountains and hills made level. The curves will be straightened and rough places made smooth. And then all the people will see the salvation sent from God. So we have the angel Gabriel saying, hey, you know what? This, this kid John, this, and who's going to grow up to a man, John is going to have the spirit and power of Elijah. Then Luke writes about John saying, yes, this is going to be the, he is going to have the spirit and power of Elijah. And then Jesus, when he was asked uh, about John, this is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11 about John. For before John came, all the prophets of the law of Moses looked forward to this present time. And if you're willing to accept what I say, he is Elijah, the one the, uh, the one the prophet said would come. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. So we have Angel Gabriel, spirit and power of Elijah. Luke, spirit and power of Elijah. Jesus, spirit and power of Elijah. John, you have... The spirit and power of Elijah, that, that, that you are part of this, of this story that is being woven in the gospel narrative, that you are the linchpin between the old, te- old covenant and the new covenant, that you are the guy who is going to proclaim the way. And one day, John was asked who he was. John the Baptist, a bunch of religious leaders, they're like, who do you think you are baptizing all these people and blah, 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 and all this kind of stuff? And this is what John came out in John chapter 1 and verse 20. He came right out and said, I am not the Messiah. Good. Right? So far, so good. Well, then, who are you? They asked. Are you Elijah? No, he replied. Are you the prophet we are expecting? No. Then who are you? (laughs) We need an answer for those you sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? You know, because he's wearing camel hair and eating locusts and everything. John replied in the words of the prophet Isaiah, I am a voice shouting in the wilderness, Clear the way for the Lord who's coming. And I find this interesting, just knowing John's background, knowing John's parents, who they were, and their encounter with Gabriel, knowing that that everybody was looking at him as the, as the one who was foretold uh, as the forerunner of the Messiah. But this is where John's personality gets, gets really kind of quirky, and we're going to see a couple of quirks in his personality uh, a- as we go along and kind of character things that, that I think that we can identify with. And I think so often that that God tells us that we are something, but we don't see ourselves as that. That God says, you know what, you are a masterpiece, a created anew in Christ Jesus to do the things that I've called you to do long ago. And we look at ourselves and say, no, I'm a cheat, or I'm a failure, or... I'm a guy who wears camel hair and eats locusts. And Jesus says, no, you are beautiful, that you are special, that you are unique, that you, I have, have knit you together in your mother's womb. And there's this, this gap between who we think we are and who God has called us to be. And I think that there's, you know, some of this going on here, and and just trying to understand that. In John chapter three, and verse twenty-eight, you know yourselves, excuse me, you know yourselves know how plainly I told you. This is John speaking. I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for Him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride. And the best man is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with the joy at his success. You see, moving forward, he's starting to get it. He's starting to really understand and take, you know, and as, as he listens to Jesus and he sees the miracles that Jesus is doing and he realizes that his role. And it's, it's this moment I I love these words of his, it is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the best man is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. And essentially what John is saying here is like, man, I have been in the light. I have been at the center mic in the front of the stage, but it's not about me. It is my time now to walk that long walk to the back of the stage and out of the light because it is about Jesus. And this is where it gets really cool. Verse 30, He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. He has come from above and is greater than anyone else. We are on earth and we speak of earthly things, but he has come from heaven and is greater than anyone else. Later on, he announced, someone is coming uh, soon who is greater than I. I am so much greater than I am not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his saddles. He says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And at that point, that John, when, when Jesus comes and, and John is baptizing people at the Jordan River, and, and Jesus comes and he, and he baptizes them, then the next day, in John 1 verse 29, John says this. He sees John, Jesus coming. He says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And we get this beautiful picture of of a guy who, who was out and doing his calling. And he had achieved a lot of success. That he was someone who was very well respected and had great influence. Even Jesus himself said some amazing things about John. In Matthew chapter 21 and verse 32 Jesus says, for John the Baptist came and showed you the right way to live, but you didn't believe him while tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even when you saw this happening, you refused to believe him and repent of your sins. Or in John chapter 5 and verse 33, he said, in fact, you sent investigators to listen to John the Baptist and his testimony about me was true. Of course, I have no need for human witnesses. But I say these things that you might be saved. John was like a burning and shining lamp. And you were excited for a while about his message. You see, the religious people were all excited about John's message when it was, Hey, repent from your sins and be baptized. Repent of your sins and be baptized. And then probably wanted to dot, dot, dot. And, you know, get into the religious structure. But when John recognized Jesus as as the Messiah, that the religious rulers started to get very, very uncomfortable. When when he said, look, behold, here is the Lamb of God who is going to be slain and take away the sins of the world. He is the good news. He is the gospel. He is the fulfillment of of the prophets and of the promise. That, that things got really tricky. Because no longer was it about the coming Messiah, but it was about Jesus. Final thing that I want to share with you that, that Jesus said about John in Luke 16.16. 16. says, until John the Baptist, the law of Moses and the messages of the prophets were your guides. But now the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone is eager to get in. And again, this is Jesus' reference once again. And this is why the Old Testament prof, uh, prophets and the Old Testament uh, narratives and promises are so important. That, that, you know what, that we look and we can see the story and the progression of the story and have the context of the story. To understand who Jesus is in the larger story, in the gospel narrative, and that God, Jesus came to fulfill those things. So, after all of this, John finds himself, you know, he's in the backstage and, and he's still doing his, you know, his preaching thing, and, uh, there was some adultery going on with the king Her- with king Herod and he like stole his, his brother's uh wife and and John the Baptist is like that's not good. You don't do that. That's not cool. And everything. So, what do they do? They throw John the Baptist in prison. And this is where it gets really interesting when John realizes that his not only is he taking it 20 feet back to the back of the stage so Jesus can be in the limelight, but also realizing, uh-oh, things are no longer up in the right for me. The things are starting to go really, really bad. And he he's probably thinking, just like you and I were thinking, you know, where the heck is Jesus? Man, I, I baptized him. Where's Jesus? I told everybody about him. Jesus without me. And I don't know what John was thinking, but I mean, like, man, I, I'm the one. I, I, I gave him credibility. I mean, I, I told everybody, this is the guy that we have all been looking for. And I'm sitting here rotting in prison. And the Bible tells us when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, you know what Jesus did? He went to Galilee. He went the other direction. He didn't come to save John. And in verse 2 in Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus this this question. Are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else Dude you have been in the wilderness proclaiming me that you baptized me and said you I wasn't even you th- that you weren't even worthy to shine my shoes or whatever lick my sandals or I forget exactly what he said but you know that 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 you proclaimed you know, the next day, that behold, the Lamb of the God, Lamb, Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, that you identify be. And when everybody was applauding, and when you were at the front, and even with great humility, you walked to the back of the stage. But now that you're in prison, now you're sending me your disciples to ask me, am I the Messiah? Right. And this is what Jesus tells him. Go back to John and tell him what you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, and the lepers are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news, the gospel is being preached to the poor. And tell him, God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. John essentially is like, I'm the man, Jesus. You know, I know you've been hanging out with Peter, but really, like, dude, I got a following. I could do so much for you if you just get me out of prison. You know, I, I promise to play nicer. I won't. I won't. I won't. You know, do this or that. You know, I'll, I'll fall in line. I understand. There's been an adjustment period here. But, you know, you're a grace guy. Let's, let's, let's get this done. And, and Jesus doesn't tell the disciples to go back and tell John it's going to be okay. John, don't worry about it, man. It's going to be okay for you. You're going to get out of prison. You know, you'll be back. You know, we'll break some bread. You know, it'll be good. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that that he's going to have comfort or or anything. He says, you know what? Go back and tell him what you have seen and what he knows. That the blind see, that the deaf can hear, that the, the lame can walk. Remind him that it's not about him. Remind him that his part in the story of God as significant as it was, does not end with sainthood for him. He doesn't get the big hat. He gets beheaded. I resonate with John, I think, how John felt here. And I've told this story before, but, 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 you know, I've gone through two major depressions in my life. The first one brought me to my knees, humbled me, and I came to Jesus. That's that's when I walked from the the front of the stage to the back of the stage. I was a broken man. And I was able to point to Jesus and say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And I got that and my personality, and probably a lot like John the Baptist's, was like, cool, now I get to use my gifts to, to come beside Jesus and, and rock this world. And I did that for many years, and I, I served faithfully. And I thought I had this all worked out. I'm like, it's, you know, it's me and Jesus. Me and Jesus are going to uh, change the world, me and Jesus are, are going to bring the gospel, me and Jesus are going to do this and that. And then my second depression hurt, hit, and it was worse than the first. And I remember being so angry and saying, Jesus, we had a deal. You take away my depression, and then I will take your message to other people. Jesus, haven't you seen my life? It's been all about me and you. And I think that's when I got the message. Jesus saying, yeah, you know what? It's all about, you've been saying, it's all about me and Jesus and about you doing this with me. And the reality is that you have not completely died to yourself because it is about me. I am the Savior of the world and I give you an invitation to be part of that story. But there's no deal outside of you will be in eternal fellowship with me and be in the unbuffered presence of me for eternity and and be restored. And that you will eventually experience having a right relationship with me and a right relationship with people in a right relationship with creation as I created it. But that that doesn't mean that I'm going to heal you from depression or anxiety. That doesn't mean that everything you do is going to be a success. It's not enough that you walk to the back of the stage what I'm calling you to do is to walk off the stage because it is all about me and I want you to wait until I invite you to come back on the stage because you are no longer the director of your life. You are a new creation in me and your identity is in me and nothing else. So after John was arrested, and he gets this message from Jesus through some weird birthday celebration, that that the daughter of his his uh, brother's wife asks for John the Baptist's head, and he grants it without ceremony without any more lights. That was it for John the Baptist. And I believe through John's life we, we see a man who had great influence. That he did a lot of amazing things. He had the attention of both kings and peasants. His his impact reached far and long that that not only do people talk about him in the Christian faith, but they talk about him in Judaism and Islam and Baha'i because this man's faith. But perhaps his greatest legacy are three words that he said. And that is our phrase for today. A disciple of Jesus is willing to say, greater is He. Greater is He when the whole world is applauding you. We as followers of Christ need to say, greater is He. When we fade or willingly walk to the the back of the stage, or off the stage. We do so because greater is He. When you're a fast-rising star in your organization, or company, or church, that we need to proclaim as a disciple of Jesus, greater is He. When we maybe when our careers have stalled out and we're worried about being laid off, then again we proclaim, greater is He. When we get married to our soulmate and we believe together that that we can conquer the world, a disciple of Christ says those three words, but greater is He. And if divorce ever comes and it feels like your soul has been ripped out of your chest in those dark moments, you proclaim, greater is He. When God blesses you with a child and you look into that child's eyes for the first time and you make a promise, and every parent does this, that I will protect you and I will teach you and I will raise you the best I can. A fully devoted follower of Christ, a disciple of Jesus says, greater is he. If that child ever gets sick or hurt or gets into major trouble despite all your best efforts, a disciple proclaims, greater is he. When your circumstances are going up and to the right, we proclaim, a disciple that proclaims, greater is he. And if we are in, again, the pit of despair, and we feel, and maybe there is no escape for us, a disciple of Jesus says, greater is he. You guys pray with me.